Hey everybody, welcome to CookPod. It's not TV, it's a podcast, obviously. I'm Peter Barrett. This week I talked to Elizabeth Minkili. I just got back from Italy where I led another culinary tour of Umbria, which was marvelous. Great group, super lucky with the weather. And we had a good time all the time. I'll have some announcements soon about more trips to France and Italy this year. Uh, So stay tuned. Uh, There's going to be some exciting and very high quality culinary adventures coming your way. And speaking of high quality culinary adventures, Elizabeth is uh, quite an expert on leading those all over Italy. I only met her on my last trip in November, the first time I did the Umbria tour. We have a couple friends in common, including the great Alice Firing, who is my third ever guest on this here podcast. And so we had met for coffee, and then this time around I asked her if she'd talk to me for this, and she agreed because she has a brand new book out, The Italian Table. Brand fresh, spanking new, and I believe it had actually come out on the day we talked or the day before. So it was excellent timing. Um, It's lovely. It's an interesting and quite detailed series of meals that you can recreate in your own home, each one taken from a different time of year and part of Italy, which is a good way to approach a cuisine that's as uh, varied and subtly different from place to place as Italian food is. You can find her at elizabethminkili.com. She's eminkili on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She's on YouTube. She is a wizard at social media. So follow her all the places. And here's me talking to Elizabeth Minkili in her apartment in Rome on or around the Ides of March. And you're having fun, too. You know, it, it's... It seems like a lot of hard work to me, but... I mean, you know me <laughs> a little bit, right? I can talk. Yeah, yeah. And I've been doing the food thing for long enough that I have... And the beauty of the way that I came into this is that I spent... You know, the first six years writing a monthly piece about some new farmer, cheesemaker, winemaker. Yeah, but I mean, I I write too, but the thought of, I've th- thought of doing podcasts, but it's, it's a different, well, it's a different medium. So it's, you know, it's a whole different set of. Yeah, I mean, but, but you, stuff. I mean, you teach, right? You talk yeah, yeah, yeah. to people all the time. No, no, I know, I know. It's just, it's like. I don't know. I guess I find. I think. Well, how do you find the time? Because you have to edit it. It's not just having an hour long. The, the editing takes much longer. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, that's what I mean. It's the yeah. editing and editing yeah. the music and the lead-ins. And well, all my son made the music actually. He's oh, great! Quite a talented electronic oh, composer. That's fantastic. So I have yeah in-house theme music. I did pay him for it, but um, it's for me. It's a way of leveraging now a fair amount of knowledge and experience. And the fact that uh, I enjoy people and I like talking to people about subjects that are not me. And so it's a good excuse. But to I think that. it's a great, I, I think podcasts are like the new, I mean, they've been around for a while, but all of a sudden they're having a moment. They are. I read that there's over 600,000. Yeah, them. but I mean, but a lot of them obviously aren't very interesting, but the, the interesting ones immediately rise and people talk about them and, mm-hmm. and people like to listen to them. So. They do. They do. It's a good substitute for the radio. Yeah, you have a good voice. Well, thank you. 
I have a good face for radio. I have have, have a really good face for radio. Um, I have kind of laryngitis, but I think that's okay. You sound fine. Um, Yeah, so it's fun. And I'm getting to meet a lot of really interesting people, uh, which is terrific because, you know, I think we respond really well to stories. And when someone has an interesting life story uh, and tells it well, it, it does make for quite riveting listening. And since I've been on a news diet for the last, you know, two plus years, because I cannot listen to the news. I can read things. It doesn't set me off quite the same way, but mm. there are voices that I cannot hear. No, I can't I leave and the room when my husband watches yeah, the news. Yeah, it turns me into a murderous yeah, lunatic. Me too. So I've been on a complete fast in terms of like listening to the radio while I cook or anything like that. So yeah, it's now podcasts. Yeah, my, yeah. No, I've been, a, I've been listening to podcasts since before there were podcasts. I yeah. was big... Uh, I was like one of the first subscribers to Audible, mm. and uh, when I when I used to pay to listen to This American Life, amazing. Like that's how long I've been listening to podcasts, and 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 that's because you were here and couldn't get it on the radio. Well, just because I used to I walk a lot, and right. it was a, and we drive a lot, and it was always something to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, and um, all right, so you've been here in Rome for quite some time. Right? A long, long time. I, I mean, I was born in St. Louis, uh-huh. and in 72, when I was 12, uh, my parents decided to move us to Rome just because they loved it. They had come here on vacation mm-hmm. and thought, you know, looked around suburban St. Louis and thought, hmm. <laughs> let's... What, what, what did they do in St. Louis? Then? My father had an art gallery. Oh, in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He was originally a land developer, and then he had an art gallery. Wow. And, uh, what, did he, what kind of work did he specialize in? Uh, like artists like Andy Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein and... And Stella. Or just like, like Candy Wood. Like those. No, nice. those. That's a great and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, uh, like, you know, it was, it was in the 60s. And yeah, he, so he repped Warhol during the heyday. And Jasper Johns and people like that. Amazing. And so he, I mean, the gallery was successful, but then he thought, well, let's go to Rome for it. You know, the older I get, the more I realize my father was intensely courageous about mm-hmm. doing this. But it was like hippy-dippy times, and they could, you know, we rented an apartment on the top floor of a palace in the Jewish ghetto mm. for two years, and which was, I'm sure they were paying nothing. Back then, yeah. That's Back my then, old neighborhood. Yeah, and the Palazzo Cenci. It and, was Palazzo Cenci? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's the school. I went to RISD, which yeah, has... Yeah, yeah, so it was across. You, you saw. I mean, you could see yeah. the terrace from there, the apartment that they had rented. And, Amazing. Yeah, and so... We lived there for two years and then moved back to the States, but always came back in the summers, either to Italy. And there was a period, that period in Italy when it was kind of dangerous to come here during the Red Brigade. Mm-hmm. And so we were other places in Europe, you know, summers, because my parents got divorced and we were with my dad in the summers. And he went and opened a gallery in New York. And so summers, the gallery closed, uh, which they course. used to do back then. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, the whole art world would move to Europe. And yeah. my dad would rent a house somewhere. And, and, um, but I was always trying to get back to Italy, and, and we did start coming back to Italy again. And when I was in graduate school, I um, kind of figured out my uh, dissertation so that I could get a graduate nice. a degree. Uh, so a you, grant. you came here as a teenager? I came here as like a teen, a uh, preteen, whatever, 12, 13 years old. But then you returned to the I States returned for to, college? Uh, I returned, and we came back every summer when I was a teen. Okay. And then I was in college at BU and then NYU. And um, What did you study? Uh, art history. You did? Yeah. Both times? B-A-N-M-A? Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And I, my specific dissertation was 16th century garden architecture. What and a shocking so, coincidence. <laughs> and so I was, I was living in Florence and yeah, doing yeah, my yeah. research in the Medici archives, and it was actually, my specific topic was the Boboli Gardens. Yeah, I was just going to say, which are fantastic. My specific, specific topic was like three square meters in Boboli which one? The grottos. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, so it was the, it was the, and it now makes sense because it was the intersection of art and culture and nature. 
in the grottos. And um, it's where they entertained. It's where they ate. It's mm-hmm. where they had parties. Um, and then I was sort of thinking, hmm, do I really want to be an academic? Do I want to move back to Rome, uh, to the States? You know, do I really want to finish my... Do I want to write this dissertation? Because right. I finished um, doing the research. And, you know, did I want to spend the next two years living somewhere, being, a, you know, a teacher's assistant or, like, having this job, which wasn't going to pay very much, yeah. to eventually lead to another job, which wasn't going to pay very much. Am I that dedicated to academia? And I wasn't. I knew I wasn't. Yeah. And that's when I met Domenico, my husband. And uh, within, like, a year and a half, I was married to him, had a baby, had a dog, and was living here in this wow. apartment. And he's an architect? He's an architect, yeah. He's an architect from Bari. Uh-huh. But he had lived in Florence for a long time, and um, he had his practice, when I met him, in Rome. Okay. And uh, so I immediately, you know, started coming back and forth to Rome, and as soon as I, my grant finished, I moved here. And I sort of had this, back, this idea that I would finish my dissertation, but at the same time, you know, I was pregnant, and I was uh, approached by a photographer who was working for World of Interiors Architectural Digest, and uh, he had connections at magazines, and I had social connections here in Italy. Right. And so we started working together on projects, and back then, in the dark ages, yeah. um, he, we would do stories on spec, mm-hmm. and so that meant he would, you know, we would shoot these pieces. I would actually physically take the slides and transparencies yeah. to London and New York, and meet with editors and sell them stories, you know. And that's how I started working for immediately for Architectural Digest and and magazines like Town & Country. And um, I was also working for art magazines. Mm -hmm. I was doing art reviews. And then I also was working for food magazines because I I, um, was working for Bon Appetit and Food & Wine. Uh So what year is this approximately? uh, Let's see. This was in the early 90s, all the 90s, the golden age. When, when, you know, magazines paid you a lot. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. I was getting paid a lot. And of the internet money. was people having some email that they there occasionally wasn't e- used. No, there wasn't internet. There was no internet. It was then. like 97, I think I sent my yeah, first yeah, yeah. email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I first started, there was no internet. Right. And um, I was actually physically, you know, going to places and, and meeting with editors and selling stories. And, and I also started writing books. Uh-huh. And through a sort of my connections, I, fr- I was writing a story... On a house at a villa in Luca, mm-hmm. and the woman said, "Oh, my daughter has a publishing company and is looking for writers. Would you like to work with her?" I said, "Oh yes," and I ended up writing uh, like three books for Rizzoli. Wow! And at the same time, somebody from Chronicle uh, approached me, and I ended up writing a book for them. So, so I was writing like a book every couple of years, mm-hmm. and writing like I was writing like five to six features a month for major magazines about all these different topics. Everything. I was very like the renaissance woman i was aggressive and sending pitching things at the time and mm-hmm. nobody else was doing that from rome all my friends i have a lot of friends who are journalists and they were you know you know with the new york times and the washington post and the globe and and they were doing like real news and then i was doing all this sort of you know lifestyle stuff right and there was nobody full-time doing it here people would come over and do vacations and write it off and write pieces yeah so i had a lot of work a lot a lot of work yeah until everything fell apart in like 2010 and the mm-hmm. financial crisis and the internet, yeah. which at first was great. I mean, I don't know if you remember Expedia, if you... Yeah, sure. I mean, Expedia was paying like $3 a word. Damn. It was like great. And, and then it wasn't. And then people figured out they could get information for free. Yeah. And, um, and so I was, went from writing like five features a month to writing maybe two features a year. Very fast. And uh, people wanted me to write, but they didn't want to pay me. And also, 
I just thought, oh, nobody's ever going to ask me to do a book again because yeah. um, my, uh, what was it, my sixth or seventh book called Italian Rustic, How to Bring Tuscan Charm into Your Home mm-hmm. was with Artisan. Mm-hmm. And it was Ann Bramson was the editor. And she said, look, we love your book. We're going to publish it anyway, even though like publishing is falling apart. Yeah. Um, but you're going to have to promote it. We don't have an in-house Right. Uh, PR department anymore. And this is the second book I did for Artisan. Uh-huh. And um, I said, oh, okay. Uh, what does that mean? She said, well, it means you're going to have to start this new thing called a blog. Huh. And you're going to have to do this new thing called social media yeah. on the internet. And I said, okay, because I already, you know. And this is you did 2010-ish? Uh, yeah. Okay. And so, like, I think it was Twitter and Facebook at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was Facebook first and then Twitter or one or the other. And I did both of those yeah. and I started a blog and, and and my blog just immediately naturally veered towards food mm-hmm. uh, without me planning it. It was just what I was interested in. It was also what people were asking me about on social media. Right. And I, I realized I was really good at social media mm-hmm. because I was really social. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like... Well, but also you could answer their questions. Where I, should I eat in Rome? I'm here for two days. But so I, I wanted to answer their questions. Right. That's a big thing. I it mean, Because a lot of people can answer the questions, but they don't want to deal with people. Yeah. And I really like dealing with people. Yeah. And I was very social. And also I've been dealing... I have a 20-year career in communication. Right. So um, it's not like came out of the blue. It's just another medium. It's another way to tell your story. And so I did, and I started my blog, and I was like, you know, blogging three times a week, mm-hmm. and um, but blogging three times a week doesn't really make a lot of money. It doesn't make any money, but it... But and even then, you know, you had to be somebody like, you know, David Leibowitz or Heidi Swanson to make money. Yeah. It, you know, you had to have like hundreds of thousands of, of views a day, mm-hmm. and although my blog took off... Uh, I wasn't making money by my right. But it's a platform. It's an exercise in branding. It's building exactly. building content and posting regularly so people can rely on you. That's, I mean, I posted, I went back at some point, I was figuring it out. I haven't, nobody really blogs much to speak of these days, but uh, except the people who are already making money off of it. But I averaged a post every other day for seven and a half years. Yeah, I was, I was posted three times a week for a good seven years. And it made all the difference. You know, know. Yes, I'd never made a penny off of it, but it led well, to... Well, see, I did. I mean... You did eventually. I, I, well, because I was approached first to do an app, mm-hmm. and I was one of the first people in Italy to do an app for restaurants in Italy, mm-hmm. and so that made money. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I also uh, was approached to do food tours, oh. and I didn't know what food tours were because they weren't a thing... And so I thought, oh, let me try and do this. And this was, what, a travel agent or something? No, 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 people just wrote me oh. on Facebook and, so, and Twitter. Oh, wow. And, you know, they said, can you give us a food tour of Rome? Can you take us around? And at first I thought I didn't want to because I didn't want to be a tour guide because I had left academia and that seemed too much like being back in art history and I didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. And But then I thought, well, let me try. And I went on a couple of food tours. I went on one in Paris and one in Istanbul because uh, friends of mine were leading them there. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is really actually fun. And it can combine culture and food and maybe an income. And I started it. And I decided to start uh, very high-end and do private tours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like from day one, they were very, very successful. And, and at the beginning, I was doing like two tours a day. And, you know, I do one in the morning, one in the afternoon for groups of people. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I had more work than I could deal with. And, and so that was lucrative. 
and and remain so. Mm-hmm. And now my um, my daughter works with me, which is great. Yes, I met her when I was here in the fall. Oh right, so she Sophie. stopped by when we were having coffee. Oh, that's right. So Sophie does. Sophie focuses more on the day tours in mm-hmm. Rome. I do some of them, but I mo- focus mostly on week long tours. Yeah, and um, which is something I moved into about four years ago. And we do week long tours in Rome and in Umbria and in Puglia. In Puglia. And you zipped up to Florence for a day on the last one, right? This last one, well, we do day trips. We always do a day trip um, outside of Rome when we do the Rome one. We usually go just to Umbria, but we we took the train up to Florence, which was fantastic. And, you know, had this, uh, we went to the market with Judy, yes. yeah, Judy yeah. Whitfrancini. Uh-huh. And, um, and, yeah, we're doing, I mean, we're thinking of doing, I, I think I was talking with Melissa Clark, who was just here last week yeah. doing the tour with me. And uh, we're thinking of doing something in Sicily, maybe mm. in 2020. Fun. And Sicily's great. The only problem uh, with the week-long tours is I wish there was more weeks in the year. Yeah. You know, because we really do, like, all the tours for this year are full up. And we're doing, like, I think eight or nine. And um, and so 2020 is already filling up. And I can't do, you know, we can't do them week after week after week. Cause no, they, you need to decompress. You need to decompress, and... and I also need to write, and I also need to, like, yeah, have a life. And um, so it's it's interesting. I'm talking to my daughter now about how to grow the business. And, mm-hmm. and um, If you do Sicily, are you going to bounce around? Or are you going to find a home base? Uh, yeah, I think we're probably... I was talking with Melissa. We were talking about doing sweet and savory Sicily. So I think it'll be in the southeast corner, probably. We, because, yeah, because what I don't like driving too much right. every day. So it's nice to have like a base. In mm-hmm. Puglia, we have, uh, we're actually staying in three different places, which is... We'll see you know, I think it'll be fun. and we're, But we're not covering that much distance, so it'll be good. And then and we're doing this other great Puglia tour in July with Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, fantastic. I saw that. Yeah. Promoting that. And yeah. that's a diff- completely different kind of tour based on, on Liz's sort of strengths. And we're doing a creativity workshop with her. And it's a much bigger tour, a much bigger group than we're used to. and, and But it's like, it's for Sophie and me, I mean, it's about pushing boundaries because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over it gets tedious yeah and, and people you know your your clients on a certain level will be able to tell that you're not quite as excited as maybe they thought you would be because it's the 15th time that you've exactly so we're always cheesemaker we're always even though the, you know we've been doing we, we're always changing the the rome tour we're always changing the umbria tour we sophie and i meet like we have to actually meet we have to schedule our appointments to meet and discuss these things and and go over them and see what works what doesn't how we want to change it even Mm -hmm. though we know that our clients will be happy with the old way we are all constantly changing it based on what we've discovered like for instance we discovered this great farm up in umbria so we might completely change our umbria day Mm -hmm. you know going to this farm instead of going to orvieto in a winery yeah which which farm is it what do they do there? it's called il cerretto Uh and uh it's an agriturismo and they've had a farm in their family for four generations and they grow legumes and they also raise animals Mm -hmm. and they have a little hotel there but they have a restaurant and Doriana. Is this the woman who makes a million kinds of grappa? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. She's uh, she just she used to work in the town hall in Perugia, and she huh. decided screw it. I'm gonna just work on my family's farm and be a chef. And she's an amazing chef. Fantastic. And we did a whole sort of nose to tail, although I should say like beak to butt, chicken thing, yeah. where we used all the chicken, and we it was great. It was I mean we learned a lot. Melissa and I learned a lot about it. And, and so we might change it, but uh, you know, it's always 
something different. And... Well, and the, the beauty of the seasons is that depending on it, if you just go different times of year, then the itinerary changes kind of by nature. Exactly, yeah. exactly, which is really great. Nevin Kleiman's coming oh, great. in May, and we're doing... and and. I thought we had the, the, the schedule down, but we're changing it because I realized she's going to be here when the uh, valley's flowering in, outside of Norcia with the lentils. Oh, yeah. So I think we're going to go up there, and then we're going to do a talk and a book signing at Civitella Ranieri. Fantastic. Which is great. And, um, yeah. But the other thing that happened when, you know, doing all this thing, the blog, you know, the whole idea of the blog doesn't make money, and I'm never going to write a book again. Once I started with the blog, I was started being approached by publishers, and mm-hmm. now it's completely come full circle where... I don't have enough time to write all the books that I could write, be mm. writing. Yeah. And um, I just had a book come out last year, Eating My Way Through Italy, yeah. with St. Martin's, and now I have, yesterday, two days ago, my yeah, new no, book came out. Congratulations. This yeah. is a perfect timing. Yeah, the Italian t- oh. And the thing I like about it is that because this country is so granular in its cuisine and significant changes can happen almost from village to village in certain dishes, I like the way you've just kind of picked up a meal from a place and kind of put it down in the book so that people can kind of evoke a particular spirit, place, time of year. And that that specificity, I think, really works in your favor because it's such a gigantic topic. Well, because people think there's some sort of, you know, there's a possible encyclopedic book that can be written that sort of sums everything up. And there isn't. No. It's all changes all the time. You know, when people have these big fights, what was I talking about? Recently, you know, the shape of pasta you use in cacio e pepe or something. You know, people have these fights like, oh, but you know, cacio e pepe hasn't been around forever. You know, I mean, these things are all relatively new. And, you know, carbonara and things like carbonara, that. Carbonara, there's no record of it before World War II. Exactly. So, I mean, people think these things are carved in stone, but they're not. So, so in the Italian table, I was able to capture 12 really specific moments of eating in Italy that I think represent... 12 really different ways of looking at eating. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and within, those, within those chapters, able to talk about maybe things that are traditional, things that are new, mm-hmm. uh, things that are specific to the person who's hosting the meal or not, or things that are specific to me. Um, but they're all really, uh, truly meals that happened in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the way you write with, you know, kind of tangible cheerfulness, the same way you talk about it, because you're clearly just so happy to be here. And, you know, and it's it shows it comes through. But, but there's also, I like that tangible cheerfulness. <laughs> you're, feel free to put that on the blur. Yeah, I know. Next, I feel like I should have it on a t-shirt. <laughs> your, next, your next book. But but there's a sort of casual accessibility to it as well, because it's none of this is carved in stone. And I think it's really important when you're able to write a cookbook that gives people permission to substitute things that isn't going to cause them to hyperventilate because they don't have parsley at the grocery store. I'm I'm so glad you say that and you picked up on that because that is my aim. And it's my aim in writing uh, the recipes for sure. And it's also the aim in writing the history around it. Mm -hmm. And, but it's also the aim in the, you know, I photographed the book as Mm -hmm. well. And so the photographs uh, I wanted, because I, I considered working with a photographer but I had a really specific vision for the for the images in the book, and I really wanted people to feel like there was very little between them and the table yeah, in front and that, of them. I, I was that was next on my list of compliments <laughs> for you was actually the photography because no because my last guest was, uh, is a um, a photo stylist, and I had him on because of all the food photography I've looked at, his is some of the least styled looking food. 
It's extremely accessible and approachable. It looks like part of somebody's life, not like a team of experts assembled it. Mm-hmm. And so you really pull off this this very a regular person made this. Well, this it was. Is, it was. I mean, and 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 nothing was made to photograph. Right. It was all even the even you know the cover shot is my house and. And that table was set for a night that my dad and my stepmom were coming over yeah. for dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually served this meal to them. And, you know, yes, I'd made it during the day and photographed it and, and you know, whatever. But it was, it was actually, I made it as if in the same sort of schedule as I would be making it. And that comes through. That comes through because on a certain level, you can't fake reality. Well, and some of the things are really ugly, too. Well, so, you okay. know, I know, I know. But there was, a one, there was one recipe of the pork roast with the hazelnut sauce, mm-hmm. and, uh, which we had out at uh, Castello Ruspoli. And, you know, it's a very local dish because that's where hazelnuts come from. And I really wanted to include it. And at the beginning, I didn't even send in the photograph of it. And my editor said, well, we really need a photograph because it's the main dish of the meal. I said, okay, here it is. She said, oh, my God, it looks like somebody, you know. Yeah. It just looks like blah. Yeah. It looks like, you know, beige blah. I said, well, wow, that's what it looks like. Yeah, well, and there's you know, nothing, you know. It's meat and nuts. And brown, what do you want to do? Sauce, but do I do? think that that sort of makes it accessible. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're not perfect. And well, I mean, you've seen my book. There's some pictures in that room. So it's yeah. just like the only picture we had. It'll do. It's <laughs> It'll good. Do. It's part of the whole thing. Because, again, I didn't pose or style any of those either. It's really important to me to not look But like I think people are more used to that now, especially with social media yeah. and, and Instagram. And, you know, they're used to seeing things. And, and what I tried not to do so much was those, you know, pictures from above, yeah. which I think are very trendy now. And, and they look very, um, they're graphically very beautiful, you know, with like a hand going They are, the and table. you know, Otto Lenghi's books are fine, they're lovely, but but every single shot, a top-down circular plate, it gets kind but of... But you don't feel like you can actually, you're not in it, because mm-hmm. you're not standing above it. It's true. So I really try and think about how people are actually looking at the dish. I like a, I like a three-quarter or even a horizontal view, yeah. I feel. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the Baroque trick of putting... Um, somebody kneeling in the foreground with their, with their back foot. to you. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they're, they, they become this intercessionary. Like exactly. They stand in for you exactly. so that you can be witnessing the assumption of the Virgin or whatever. Exactly. exactly. And I think that, that that makes a big well, difference. Well, that was always when I was doing a lot of interior design work and I was acting as the stylist on, on photo shoots for like Architectural Digest, House and Garden. You know, the rule was you never photograph the back of a couch or a mm-hmm. chair because mm-hmm. that was too uninviting you mm-hmm. know it created a, a, a barrier between yeah. the viewer and 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 the, and the piece so in the same way you don't want to create a barrier you want that you want it to go beyond mm-hmm. you want your eye to keep going mm-hmm. and, and that to me you know I learned a lot you know when I wasn't always a photographer and I have to say that I learned a lot about photography through social media mm-hmm. you know just a, by following particular just, accounts or no just... no just by seeing what worked what people liked and what people responded to viscerally you know they, they you know if I mean, it's it's numbers. It's you know what people say they like, but sure. but you know when I noticed the, the the photographs that people like the most are the ones that are a table, literally mm-hmm. a table that they can pull themselves up to. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 and that was really the idea behind this book. Like you know, people want to be sitting at an Italian Absolutely. table. Absolutely. Well, and you talked about David Leibowitz, who, who I was lucky enough to meet a few years ago in France, and and he is so also very very good at projecting his enthusiasm but also he's a very good photographer but his photography is always there's always a way and it's always very yeah, much yeah. him taking the picture you know he just shot what he was looking at it, there's no staging and, and 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 it's his they're not props they're his they're his things that it's his little that he's got you know he's gone with man and gone to flea shops yeah, flea, yeah, yeah. Flea, you know flea markets i think a happy result of the highly now sophisticated you know social media 
mechanisms and apparatuses and whatever that people bring to bear on their careers is that a certain form of sincerity has actually gone up in value. Yeah, I think you're right. Because there are teams of experts churning out fake stuff all the time. And so if you are real and you're regularly real and you know what you're talking about and you can take it, you can frame a shot and light it and, or, you know, use the light that there is even better. I think people, they, people who are hungry for a particular honesty, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that that's, uh, I'm very pleased about it because that's what I'm, you know, interested in. Uh, I don't really want to look at, at advertisements. There are so many accounts where I, I keep, I sort of scratch my head and I say, what exactly are you peddling here? Know. You know, look how rich and pretty I am. Like how no, this is supposed to be interesting to me. You know what I mean? So talk about, because this came so quickly on the heels of the last one. Like, well, I actually wrote them both at the same time. You did? I did. And what I, I had the contract already. I had been talking to an editor at Rizzoli for six years about this book. And I actually started talking to him about it when I was working on Eating Rome. Mm -hmm. And then um, because I had to finish doing that, I sort of put it on the back burner. And then when I was just considering doing Eating My Way Through Italy, I contacted him again with this idea. And he said, let's do it. And I had to uh, offer it first to my other publisher. And they said, no, it's not our kind of book. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to lose the momentum and I also knew that it was covering a lot of the same uh, geographic territory. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be a photographer in both books. And so I thought, well, this is, you know, I'll just multitask. Right. And, um, and I did. And so I was able to photograph for both books sort of at the same time. And did you have in your head it was compartmentalized already? You know, this is for this and this is for that? Or? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually, my 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 office was like a sea of post-its, you know, like okay. on, on these huge calendars, and, and it was very much organized, and I'm happy to say my daughter helped me with it, you know, driving me places, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I knew what I had to get done in each place, and usually I could, you know, research both of them at the same time, take photographs for both of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, writing them both at the same time was, you know, a challenge. I bet. And, and for like there was like a year and a half when I had, you know, very little social life, yeah. and I'm very happy to be back like in the li- land of the living again. Yeah. And and wondering like how how crazy I was to do that, but well, but you're obviously you know pretty overjoyed about it, right? I'm very overjoyed about it, and I'm already you know I have like three proposals ready to mm-hmm. send out, but I have to decide if I want to you know commit myself because I'm really having fun doing the tours, mm-hmm. and I'm really having fun working with Sophie, and um and I just have to decide. And I'm really having fun traveling. Like, you know, there was a the year and a half when I was working on both books when we didn't travel at all. I traveled for work in Italy, but that doesn't count. Right. And we just came back from South Africa. Yeah, I saw. I know. It was amazing. Talk about different, right? It was so amazing. And, that, like, that's all I want to do now is, like, go places that are completely out of my comfort zone out of what you know i would write about and, yeah but well, like but then at the same time i'm thinking oh i can bring a group to south africa you know sure. and, and do why that and now so, that it's minkili and daughter like I why know, not right i know i know so i don't know i mean it's, it's it's like i said i wish there was more weeks in the year i wish there was more hours in the day i like i regret sleeping at night i yeah. think like there's so much to do well, but but i mean given the fact that you're good at and passionate about more than one thing i think this is just kind of the inevitable result of that yeah. Because if somebody forced you to pick one or the other, I think you'd have a really hard time, right? And so, so maybe being perpetually a little bit itchy that you haven't written a book in a while or haven't led a tour in a while is I also, just... I also need to do another video on YouTube. I'm uh-huh. like a, Are you behind YouTube. on those? Yeah, 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 I am. 
Well, I feel like I, maybe you need an intern or something. That's right? what people keep. That's what Alyssa said to me, or Alice said to me. You know, you, you need an intern. But well, and you know, if, if like in the event, whatever that you did want to do a podcast or you want to make videos more often or whatever, just having somebody to do the editing—that's the time-consuming part. That's Producing true. the content is actually kind of the easy. part. Did you part. see the video of Sophie? Yes. Yeah, so I'm talking to those guys. Which is great. About was, working that was with really them. Nice. I know. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And that's Max and Feel, uh-huh. and uh, there were these young kids who Sophie was following and they were doing really traditional, you know, advertising here in Italy. And then they decided that it was not what they wanted to do. So they decided to do these series of YouTube videos, uh, profiling, um, Roman food personalities. And so they did Sarah Cicciolone from Santo Palato uh-huh. and they did, uh, I'm seeing her tomorrow. Liberati from, you know, the butcher that she uses. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they did Sophie, which was like amazing. And so, I really like their videos. So I'm, I'm talking yeah, they about shoot it. well. Um, she's great on camera. She's such a natural. Yeah, I know. I think she should do more. So, so you're going to Santo Palato tomorrow? We were there. Uh, well, no, I'm actually have just having breakfast with Sarah. I'm going to Santo Palato in a couple of days. It's really great. It's really good. It was, I had a blast there last time yeah. in November. Yeah. Oh, I remember you told me about it. Yeah. Yeah, because I hooked up with the Sicilian wine. Because I was there by myself, and the Sicilian winemaker took pity on me and invited me to join his table with his brother and friend. So when we were there with with the other night, we were there. We were the first people to come in, and Mm -hmm. we had a big long table, and like we got there at seven thirty, which is really early. Yeah. And um, so we're there, and then as we came in, like we're sitting down, and this other couple came in, and a man and a woman and they sat at the other side of the table and all of a sudden I noticed they were staring at us mm-hmm. and he was looking at his phone he was looking at us he was looking at his phone and I realized they recognized Alice That's so and they were total Alice firing groupies she has so many and groupies. so like you know Alice had brought a bottle <clears throat> of wine from Pantaleria mm-hmm. and Jeribi I think is the name of the, the maker and uh, so we were opening that and she was ordering these other wines and finally the guy couldn't resist and he came over and was really cute. I man, when I put she was my third guest, and when I put that up, uh, all hell broke loose. It was crazy. My inst- like yeah. all the just people like commenting and people love Alice. I mean, I deservedly know. so. I like, know she's the best. I know. I know. But she really has groupies. Like, I know hardcore. she really does. Because at first I thought, oh, of course they've. Because I go into restaurants sometimes and people recognize me because. Because I write about Roman restaurants, and yeah. that's normal. Sure. And sometimes, you know, I'm walking around Rome, and they rec- and all the time people recognize Melissa Clark because they see her on. The- so this was the first time. I mean, it was like, but it was so clear that they were like Alice groupies. Yeah. It was yeah. so exciting. Well, and you know, the thing is, it's it's actually something I was thinking of when I said a little while ago about the way you write and and you know what was it tangible enthusiasm or whatever I said. Um, cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. Um, more than anyone else, I think I know. Alice writes exactly the way she talks. So she does. when you read her book, it's like she's in the room with you. Yeah. And that's hard to pull off. It really is. So you feel like you're her friend even if you've never met her. Right. And so she has that kind of magical ability. Plus she knows her shit inside and out and um she is sort of the, you know, the oracle when it comes to this subject that she that she has mastered and and Did you see did you see that photo when we went up to Umbria last week and we did this, you know, very kind of gory, you know, lesson in making sausages. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, Alice came up on the bus with us, but she went off with John Piero Bea, mm-hmm. you know, to go see the winery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she came back and she joined us sort of late for lunch. In the meantime, I had invited Salvatore Donato. Mm-hmm. Oh, with him picking her up? Yes. Oh, my God. So we're sitting there and he sa- he looks at her and I said, oh, Salvatore, this is... Da-da. I said, and this is Alice Fighting, um, you know, a writer of natural wine. And he just like looked at her 
And he came around and he just like picked her up and like was twirling in circles because they had met 15 years ago and had this like, you know, moment. Yeah. And and it was really cute. It was really fun. That's no, she's a hero to a lot of people and deservedly so. Yeah. 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 I I admire her a lot. Um, Yeah. We're going to Bea uh, next week, too. Oh, fantastic. The best. Oh, man. That's the wine I bring home with me in my suitcase every time. That's the one. Yeah, because it's not easy to get in the States. And it's well, it's not easy to get. It's also over 100 bucks a bottle. I and know. I can get it from him for 35 or 40 euros. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Of all the many, many arguments for me moving here, that's uppermost, I think. It's just how I hate paying 250% of what the it retails for here. No, I know. I know. I know. But it's really nice that uh, Sam, who's staying with us here, is, brings home bottles of, mm-hmm. like, weird and wonderful and it, is it i imagine it's not hard to get bourbon that was just melissa bringing. no no it is it's it's hard and expensive so is it really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. really they don't do bourbon here or is it just not a liquor it's not a liquor i mean culture, i can really. i can order it online and they deliver it so it's not that hard but it was really nice to get a, like a really sure. a bigger bottle of well you know <laughs> dana's husband don is obsessed with maple syrup and so like well the... i usually put maple syrup in mine yeah and i didn't because you were here and i thought it was like too tacky <laughs> It's not, tacky, it's not tacky at all. It's just a scarce commodity in these Well, parts, no. So. Somebody from uh, one of my tours recently, it was from uh, New Hampshire. Uh-huh. And she brought me a can yeah. of maple syrup. Yeah. Like the, from her trees. Fantastic. A can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I decanted it into a jar and I've been usually been putting it in my Manhattans and it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like just a little bit. No, I got a call the day before I flew here um, from my buddy who I make uh, syrup with every year. And he said, I think it's starting to flow now. And I said, dude, I'm gone for two weeks, but let's do it when I get back. But I mean, this is like, it was all of a sudden it brought me back to my childhood when maple syrup used to be maple syrup. Yeah. You know, before it became like sugar syrup. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, there's it's, no, and the, and the maple syrup and bourbon, because they both have that sort of warm I know. caramel. Oh, I'm glad I should have put it in. No, it's fine, please. I have maple syrup where I come from. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I know, I know. Yeah. Did but you bring the, me any? The no, way to you Dawn's, didn't bring me any. <laughs> I didn't bring you any. I can send you some. Um, the way to Dawn's heart, should you ever need... To that information is maple syrup. Good to know. Because it's just so hard to get here. So what the, um, you were in the States a while ago, but you, that was before the book came out. Are you going to be coming over to do book things? I am. I'm going uh, April, in mid-April to mid-May. Okay. And I have a book tour and I'm going to, let's see, Chicago, uh, D.C. Yeah. I'm going to the Literary Festival in Little Rock. Fun. And then L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, New York. And those are just signings, readings? All sorts of things. You know, I decided uh, this time to do Mix It Up. So some of them are dinners. Some of them are um, book signings in in, uh, bookstores. Mm -hmm. uh, Just sort of different things. Restaurant dinners? Yeah. So yeah. you're, not, you're not cooking or teaching? No, or no, no. I'm doing some demos, yeah. yeah. And I'm doing a lot of, I mean, when I'm in the cities, I'm doing a lot of TV and radio. Mm-hmm. And um, and the TV is like cooking demos or just Yeah, fun? yeah, yeah. It is? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. morning TV kind of things? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I do that. I put on a flowered shirt and Do say, you really? Yeah, yeah. Smile an awful I lot. do, I do, I do. <laughs> I put on high heels. So I'm, like, I'm always the shortest person on the set, always, because they always wear like really high. I learned that. They wear really high heels on TV. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, TV's hard, man. Yeah. No, it's it's really fun. I did it. I did it a lot for the last book. Mm-hmm. And I'm it was really funny cuz I was doing what was I doing? Home and Family TV, which is the Hallmark channel. Mm-hmm. And they had me show up and like they put me in some green room or whatever. And the guy came in and I was taking a nap. Huh? Because I was tired, yeah. and he says, "Oh my God, you're like the most chill person we've ever had on the show." <laughs> you know, you're Most not people nervous. are breathing into a paper well, bag. No, I, I know. I was like, "Well, what?" I mean, I, would be. 
I know, but like, what could go wrong? What I mean, I'm just going to be who I am. I can't yeah. change that. No, and, but, that, but um, I mean, that's it's good and it's admirable because there are so many people who have you know all these retouched photos and you know everything's super staged and you know so it takes some guts to just be a human. Well, it was. Yeah, that I mean, Instagram helped me do that. It was very much, you know, because it was a while before I actually did. You Could know, point the camera at yourself. Yeah. And then I figured, and I started doing it, and I had so much positive response. Yeah, I still haven't quite gotten there. Yet. Oh, I'm kind of, fine it with it. Kind of creeps me out. Still. Now I'm fine, and and you know, the only creepy you know responses I get is from weird men, but um, but nothing mean, and and mm-hmm. it's always really positive and. And yeah, I mean, sometimes I brush my hair, sometimes I put my sunglasses on, you know, whatever. But I rarely use filters because a lot of people use filters. Mm-hmm. But it was really funny. There was an article on me recently, which was basically, look, she's old, but she's on YouTube. <laughs> that's, 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 she's I think a I YouTube saw that. star. Is that like influencers over a certain over a certain age, age yeah. and you know who have viral videos mm-hmm. on YouTube? And I saw it was that. like, you know, now that that's out there, it's fine. Yeah, I just there comes a point when it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and when your brand is honesty and sincerity, it just plays into it, right? Yeah. And everybody else, you know, kind of looks like me. I mean, it's. Yeah. Those are my people. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, honestly, if you're leading culinary tours, then it tends to be people who are empty nesters, retirees, people with the time to take two weeks and travel somewhere far away. And, you know, it's it's, it's kind of built in demographic. You can't, you're not going to be getting a lot of 20 somethings. Uh, No, 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 no. Um, how do you how do you feel like because I lived here almost 30 years ago now um, and I just went to visit the British school where I spent my second part of, of my Roman experience um, but it's all covered in scaffolding and it looks not so nice uh, but it's quite a lot different in some superficial ways I mean obviously it is the eternal city so in most ways it's completely unchanged mm. but I'm curious how you know, the regular tourism obviously has increased, but gastrotourism specifically, like a lot of places, you know, you may have discovered them when they opened, but now you can't get a seat there. I mean, I'm sure you can get a seat, but it's, the landscape has shifted kind of dramatically, and I'm just curious how... Well, it has. I mean, but there's more (laughs) tourists everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, there were whole continents that weren't traveling. Yeah. Like India and China. I mean, so, so now you just have to taking the fact that there's just a lot more people traveling Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot more every kind of tourism and um so you know you deal with that i mean obviously rome used to have an off season that off season the down season is getting shorter and shorter and it's sort of rome was never like florence and venice but now it is and by by saying that i mean that it's there's a lot of you know tourists all the time my neighborhood of monte where, where we are now you know, used to be sort of the sketchy kind of neighborhood where tourists didn't come, and and now, you know, it's the hip and trendy. Yeah. Uh, well, the, neighborhood. Loca- the location can't be beat. Well, location can be beat, but I mean, the the real estate prices are rising, and and all this has an effect. But you know, nothing stays the same. No. Everything moves forward, so you have to adapt. And my response to adapting, uh, especially with culinary tourism, and I was just at the New York Travel Show mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Yeah. Or uh, last month, really. And um, one of the main point that I talked about was how culinary tourism can help promote sustainability. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is by you, you don't just go to Rome, Venice, and Florence. You go to Basilicata. You go to Puglia. You go, you go to these places. Even if you're in Rome, you take a day trip outside of Rome. And, or you go to, you know, Santa Palato, which is not in the center of Rome. Mm-hmm. And um, 
those are the way that you sort of diffuse the crowds. And yeah, I'd go see the Sistine Chapel, go see, you know, the Coliseum, the Tower of Pisa, sure. whatever. But then go make the effort to go have a plate of, you know, uh, uh, Papa Pomodoro at the at Sabatino's outside of the Porte San Frediano in Florence. Right. You know, make that effort to take yeah. that extra, you know, 10 minute walk. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself, you know, surrounded by people who still live there and are Florentine. You know, you can't take it for granted. You can't just land in Rome and decide you're going to walk around and find great food. But you, you don't kind of assume that in New York or San Francisco You don't either. even assume that in Paris. In fact, for a long time, you were more or less guaranteed like a mediocre meal in exactly. Paris. Exactly. Really and so people used to assume that in, in, in Italy, and you can't anymore. And the really good restaurants, you do have to reserve. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the modern world. I yeah, I, um, I think, you know, for example, if anyone were to go to... Liguria, you know, just to do olive oil or to go to Abruzzo for the pasta, right? Because that's where all the... I think, okay, I'm saying here right now, everybody go to Abruzzo. Yeah. Just go. It'll help support them. There's nobody else there. Nobody else <laughs> and there. And you'll eat really well. well yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and... And that's where all the wheat is grown. So that's, that's like the, the very best, the, and... the best pasta. Yeah, and so... You know, that's why we do our tour in Umbria. And Umbria is still relatively unpopulated. It is. Uh, it's catching on. It's catching on, but still there's no great hotels there. So there's not hordes of, of tourists right. ever. And it doesn't have a Florence. so there's It doesn't no, have a Florence. No and, you know, Orvieto gets crowded, but... But really know. just during the festival, right? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, during the summer it's crowded. Is it? Yeah, so that's... I mean, my idea is that, you know, my, my last two books specifically... Uh, we're about getting outside of these touristy centers. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when you when you are able to sort of cut out the middleman and go directly to the farmer, and I, I think um, it makes a tangible impact on them, especially if you are posting it on social media and they start to get some attention, you know, because Dario Cecchini is great, right? But there are a lot of really talented people in a lot of places who do not get any spotlight whatsoever. Exactly, and especially like in places like Puglia. And I always encourage people to spend money and shop. And that's why this in this last book, The Italian Table, that's why I had a lot of emphasis on ceramics. Mm -hmm. Because even though you might not come to Italy, and even though you might be making your dinners at home, you can still support like local ceramics, you know, by ordering things online. Or, Absolutely. And and that helps the whole economy and and you know helps keep this alive, which I think is yeah. important. It's um, it's interesting to me seeing how you know the sort of the rise of agriturismos and 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 people realizing that they have almost in the way that you know sort of Vermont and Maine have been doing for quite a long time. Um, actively working to sort of you know monetize the the rural food producing well, economy. There was, well, there was a, a period when you know it became uh, they changed the law and they said you know now farmers can you know run these sort of inns and and a lot of people opened these sort of fake places that were uh, not really based on what they were growing. But now that it's sort of swung back, and so there are a bunch of places, like the place I was there the other day, mm-hmm. in Cereto, there was another place we went to in Sardinia, which was amazing, yeah. and which I wrote about in Eating My Way Through Italy. And, um, do you do trips to Sardinia? No, that's really hard. Is it? It is. But I, I encourage everybody to go to Sardinia. But don't go to the beach. Like Go to the inland mm-hmm. and go off-season. My parents went there on their honeymoon, but I have never been. It's amazing. It's really great. And, um, yeah, Domenico and I went a couple of years ago. And uh, so in my book, like Eating My Way Through Italy, I told people what I did, and you can follow what I did, but you can also then just take it as a, as a template for planning your own trip. You know, decide, oh, I saw this on 
some TV show. I'm going to go search out that spleen sandwich or whatever mm-hmm. it is or that kind of, you know, cheese. And, and I'm going to follow that cheese. And if you get to the end of the road and there's that cheese along the way, you will have discovered all these other things. And, right. and it's worth it's, it's just an easy way. It's a different way to plan your trip around food. Mm-hmm. It's not about going to Michelin starred restaurants right. and ticking it off on your box. It's about, you know, the journey more than the... Well, and, and meeting the people. I mean, because another huge difference that I've noticed um, since 30 years ago here and in France and elsewhere is that even if the older people don't speak English, their kids all do. And so if you have none of the language, you can actually get by much, much more easily than used to be the case, where it could actually be quite difficult. And people are very happy to sort of... I was in the bar, the local bar the other day, and, you know, they've got all these kids working there down the street, and they they try and speak English, and it's yeah. great. And, you know, the person was saying, well, how do I pay? And, and the guy was saying at the bar, well, overpay, overpay. And he understood he had to go over there and pay, uh-huh. you know, so he was making the effort. And, and the person who, you know, was, was there was making the effort to understand. And, yeah. and Italians, Italians are very good. They at are that. super generous. Yeah. 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 They're just happy you're interested. Yeah. That, no, that, a little effort goes a very, very long way. Um, so what's, uh, in terms of now that Sophie's doing, you know, your day tours and things like that, do you have specific plans? Because you're, you, you talk about the constraints of, you know, 365 days in a year. If only we had 500 day years, you could do more trips, right? What's, uh, do you, are you, are you na- sort of navigating a way forward where you get to maybe try to do a little bit more or? Um, we're talking about it now we're talking about what's what is the upper limit of how many trips how many week in rome how, how many week in italy trips we can do a year and i i think i think that the call of writing another book is really strong is it already yeah with this one just out well just out i finished it a year and a half well, ago. right that is the thing you know it? and i have all these ideas so i would like to find time to do another book so of the three or so proposals you said you have on deck what's the one that you think is uppermost sorry you can't say no it's a secret it's a secret okay you wouldn't (laughs) want anyone to jump on it no yeah so i'll see i mean i'll I, i would like to try to find time to do everything um you know, I, I would also like to find time to travel with my husband. And, sure. And, and where, where do you want to go that has nothing to do with Italy? Vietnam. Yeah. I would love to go to Vietnam. I would love to go back to Africa. Mm-hmm. I really want like tomorrow, if you told me. Mm-hmm. Drop. What's the next country on your list then? And we'd like to go to Namibia, uh-huh. I think. I'd like to go back to South Africa again. I'd like to go back and do the same trick, trip I did again. Just the one you just did. Well, yeah. South Africa's huge too. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. It was really fascinating. And I knew nothing about the the history other than what we all know and um and the people i didn't get enough chance to talk to people and so it's really cool i mean cape town is amazing mm. and um and seeing elephants is you know yeah. seeing the wildlife well, i see the, the lock screen on your phone is, is the elephant yeah. picture i yeah. know it's, it's just it was i'm getting goosebumps as we talk it's um it, was it the wildlife was, was it yeah. just the grandeur the the yeah, everything. Sort of incredible horizon it was being in and... such a different place that i'm used to yeah yeah. And being not understanding anything at all, yeah, having no point of reference, which is something I'd like to go to Japan. I'd like yeah, to go to, you know, really. yeah, Japan's on my that's yeah. on my short list. Yeah. Have you ever been to North Africa? Uh, no. Uh, Morocco is phenomenal. Yeah, I'd like I to go to Morocco could, as well. See you. The thing about Morocco that I that really speaks to me is that it does a lot of things really well. So the people are extremely friendly. Um, the landscape is gorgeous. They have mountains and desert and everything in between. They also have this obsessive love for geometry, right? As part of the Islamic world, which, which, where, where imagery was forbidden for a long time. 
So the mosaics and the patterns yeah. and the textiles, the and I, as a geometry like geek of the highest order, I just was beside myself with glee. And the food is killer. Yeah, no, the Morocco's up there. Uh, so, and the music, so, the music actually. So that's too. why I sort of keep thinking like another book or just have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so it's, it's, I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. I guess I there are worse problems to have. Like, which worse incredibly problems. fun thing should I do yeah. next? Yeah, you know, so I'm trying to organize things so to have more fun. So with the next, uh, the next trip here is? The next trip we start a week in Rome yeah. on Sunday. Wow, that's really, they're close together. Uh, yeah, usually we don't do them that close together. And then after that, in two weeks we do a week in Puglia. Hmm. And then I go on my book tour. Right. And then I come back and do a week in Umbria with Evan. Right. So here's my question, because you, you, you alluded to this in the way that, that you know, everything changes over time. Um, and even things that we think are carved in stone, right? Like carbonara, and, and you know, that, for example, that it's heresy to put onion in carbonara. Roman cooking, I think, has always been fairly conservative in that way. And it's presented in a very, you know, kind of nuts and bolts, no frills, mm-hmm. right? garnishes are an alien concept for the most part. Sarah, I think, um, Tommaso Penestri, I think there are a few people who are finding ways forward without sacrificing or defaming, let's say, the, the noble tradition of Roman cooking. Okay. And so I'm curious, yeah, it, it, do you know anyone, like, is there well, yeah, other mean, people on well, that list? It's, that well, you... it's, it's interesting you said that because today Sophie and I decided to make a major change to our week in Rome, we usually end the week at Flavio Villa Vedetto, as that's our one of our favorite Roman mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. We have Cacio e Pepe, we have all the Roman traditions. Yeah. Instead, we changed it, and we're going to a uh, new restaurant called Marigold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's where I'm going tomorrow morning with Sarah for breakfast. Okay, great, yeah. That, which is in my them, neighborhood, because I'm in Testaccio. Tell them hello. I will. And that's, uh, yeah, it's Sophie and Domenico. And, and she's Danish, right? She's Danish, and he is Italian. You know, he was he was the sous chef at the American Academy under mm-hmm. Alice Waters. And so we're, we're doing our last meal there, which shows that, you know, nothing's carved in stone. And that's, it's one of my favorite restaurants at the moment. And it just opened, too, right? It just opened in December, uh-huh. uh, end of November, December. And it's just fabulous. And I mean, I've been eating their food for, you know, eight years. Is that a pop-up? And um, it's just so beautiful. You'll see tomorrow. And um, he's a master pasta baker. There's a whole chapter with his recipes in my book, The Italian mm-hmm. Table. The Roman chapter is all his recipes. And Sophie's, she's a baker, makes amazing sourdough bread and desserts. And... It's just, you'll see, it's a very special place. And so, yes, I think that there, you know, there's the Retro Bottega, which I think you went to. I didn't, I didn't. Um, I, I want to, I may I may go if I can. Um, but trip. anyway, there's a whole bunch of new uh, younger people that are, you know, have spent time away or coming back and are doing things and they're very respectful of, I mean, you know, Domenico goes out in Villa Dori Pamphili and forges. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, you can't get more local than that. No. And, and you know, I, the, the night we were having the dinner at Santo Palato, you know, Sarah heard that uh, Roberto Liberati had gotten a side of beef in. So she like ran, literally ran there because she runs and, and yes. got the liver. Uh-huh. And the liver was like the main part of our meal. So she's, you know, and it's very, uh, it's very exciting to see their enthusiasm for it. Yeah, so, and, yeah. it and it tastes delicious, obviously. Yeah, she's such a good cook. I love panestri too. Panestri's good. It's, really a little, good. it's a little less, I mean, one of the things I love about Santa Palato so much is that it's so Roman and it's just aesthetic. The look of it, yeah. you know, 
it's just so no frills and unadorned. But the thing I like about Pinestri, and I have to say, uh, if we're talking design, is is it's really easy to talk. They yes. did the acoustics really well. Yes. And that's not easy. It, it's not. It's a really nice room. It feels really, really comfortable. It's a really nice... It's, to me, I would say it's just a little more internationally styled. It's a little less specifically yeah, yeah. Roman. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not a... It's not a but bad sa- thing But Santo Palato's looking for a new space. Oh, she it's is. It's too small. It is too small. I was gonna, when I went in there, I said, "This place really." It's I was so talking tiny. to her owner, the, the other, her partner, the other day. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think she could scale up quite easily. Yeah, it's very, very small. Um, it's it's interesting to me that, like I said, the ways in which people are innovating. I love that he forages in Doria Pamphili because I think that park might be the best kept secret in the city, even though it's the size of a whole. You know, I mean, it's gigantic. I used to go up there all the time, and. Um, it's just the most beautiful park, and it goes on and on and on, and ugh, I love it. I love it. Well, even when we're, you know, doing our cooking lessons downstairs, because we have the, our cooking space downstairs where we host our, our classes during yeah. our weekend Rome tours, you know, a lot of the stuff comes from our terrace, like the herbs. And and you have the great market here, right? Uh, and we have Mercato the... Mercato Rionale. We have the great market across the street now, and... And it's really fantastic. Everybody should go there. I mean, he's helping us cook for the tomorrow, uh, Sunday night's dinner. Is he? The pasta guy. Yeah. That's fantastic. He's making us a great artichoke design. Yeah. And, and are you, so are you sort of always, I mean, you have, I assume you have a, a cast of regular collaborators, but are you sort of always open to, like, you're actively seeking out new and interesting? Yeah, yeah, always. We change, like I said, Sophie and I are always tweaking it and changing mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I'm always, you know, because I, you know, tell people about our tour and I send them out, you know, the description, but then I send out regular updates because we're always changing. Always, always, always. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's exciting. I can't wait to hear what comes next or mm-hmm. see, I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know. We're, I'm I, always on Instagram. My yes, story you, you are is so every single day. On I know, yeah. I know. No, but it's good. It's Yesterday good. was horrible. It was horrible, wasn't it? I know. I felt like somebody cut my limb okay, off. Okay, you want to you hear what's funny? So I'm FaceTiming with my son around the time I was going to bed because he had, you know, it was like 5 p.m. there or whatever. And I said, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like the classic ask a 14-year-old for tech support. And I said, yeah, I don't know. I can't upload anything. I don't know what's wrong. And he's like, oh, no, it's down. Dad, don't worry. It's like, okay, fine. So. Well, it took us all a, a while to, to figure out. I thought out there was something time. wrong with the Wi-Fi in my, in my apartment. You know, I no, I knew it was assumed. something really wrong early on and looked it up. But I just posted it all this morning. You know, nobody knows. Whatever. Yeah. No, for me, it's, I mean, I, Instagram and Facebook are the way that I do my business. So for me, it's really important. So I was like up in the night worried because also my book came out. That's true. So that was um, a pretty inauspicious day. So I, it's, it's funny how we're all dependent on these. I know. I don't, and I don't, and I never pay for like ads and things like that. And I never do promotions. Um, so I really depend on it working. Well, fortunately it was just a day. No, I know. It's fine now. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to me. Well, and thanks for coming by. It was my pleasure. Great. We finished our Manhattans. We did. Finished the interview. Elizabeth Minkeely. Her new book, The Italian Table, just out. ElizabethMinkeely.com. E. Minkeely on Instagram. She's also on Facebook, on YouTube. Sign up for her email list to learn all about the classes that she leads in Rome and uh, Umbria and Puglia. And she'll be in the States on a book tour next month. I'm Cookblog on Instagram, cookpod.net. Music by my son, Milo Barrett. Smilob.com <laughs>